A great picture of sacrificial love we see in that song. And uh, Herschel Hobbs, the longtime pastor of First Baptist Church of Oklahoma City, was telling a story one time when he was hosting a friend of his at a fundraising dinner they were having, a banquet they were having at their church. And he said to his friend, who was obviously just there for the weekend, he was hosting him, he said, you want to see, you want to see the richest woman in Oklahoma? And the guy's like, sure. He's like, there she is, right there. And this, where? Where? I don't, I don't see who you're talking about. Where? Where? Right there. I don't see who you're talking about. And he said, right there. The ones serving the tables and pouring the drinks. And his point was, what a picture of, even though this lady was very wealthy, very powerful, she was exhibiting that servant lifestyle, that servant leadership, that sacrificial love that we see so perfectly exhibited in the Lord Jesus Christ. It was that sacrificial love based upon an intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ and pure motives built in righteousness. Exactly what we're going to see today in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And Paul here says this again to the church at Philippi. In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and to the praise of God. You see, folks, as we mature in righteousness, as we mature in righteousness and we grow in truth and overflow in love, you will develop pure motives and realize what's truly important in life. Those things work together. You're maturing in righteousness. And in fact, as we're going to see, it's God maturing you. And as you do, you're growing in truth. And growing in that truth is what that true sacrificial love is built upon. As you do, you're going to develop those pure motives and realize in life what is truly, truly important. And Lord God, as we walk through your word today, help us to be ones that live out a life of sacrificial love. It is so easy in the world in which we live, in which we're constantly bombarded with the idea of take care of number one. Put number one first and we'll see what happens after that. It is so difficult for us to to walk in the sacrificial love that we see exhibited in Christ Jesus. But as we do so, as, as you are growing us in the fruits of righteousness, and as we are growing in knowledge of the truth, Lord, may you cultivate our sacrificial love. And as we do, may, Lord, we see that your way is the best way. Your way is the way when we focus upon the pure motives of life and focus on what really matters, that you take care of everything else and you bring into our life and develop in our life peace and joy and satisfaction. In the name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen. So the very first thing that we're going to see here in verse 9 is a changed mind and a changed heart. A changed mind and a changed heart. First of all, he says, this I pray. Let's not gloss over that. That's not just sort of a way to ramp into what he's saying. Prayer is not perfunctory. Prayer is not perfunctory at all. It isn't just something that we do. But prayer has great effect. And he says, in fact, the prayer of the righteous man avails much. John 5, or James 5, 16, the prayer of the righteous man avails much. It accomplishes great things. 
Because God has ordained prayer to be the source of power in our lives and in our church as we call upon him. He says, in this I pray. It's not a perfunctory prayer, but he is praying that there would be great change in their lives. That your love, he says, may abound more and more still. More and more. First of all, the love that he talks about, we mentioned it, of course, in the opening of this sermon, is it's that agape, that God-type love that we've talked about this last week as well. It's that, that sacrificial, God-like love that we see exhibited so perfectly in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in one of the stories of the New Testament, we see it also in the Good Samaritan. Do you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Of course, Samaritans were thought of as second-class citizens. They were thought by those in the Jewish class that were prejudiced, they were thought of as half-breeds. They were Jews and those that intermarried with some of the other nations of the world. And so they had looked down upon them. And so it was amazing that Jesus used uh, the Samaritan in his story to be the hero of this story when there was a man traveling along a road and he was, beat, he was robbed and he was beaten within an inch of his life. And two times we see powerful members of society walk by on the other side of the road trying to avoid the man that was beaten. But who stopped? It was the Samaritan. It was the Samaritan, the one who was looked down, Samaritans being looked down upon by the rest of society. It was the Samaritan that stopped. It was the Samaritan in in Jesus' story was the one that, that protected this man and nursed this man back to health at great personal expense and personal time. Sacrificial agape love. And so when Paul is praying here, For the church at Philippi, he says, I want your sacrificial love to do what? To abound more and more. It's really interesting how he uses these words here in the original language. He's he's using a word there for abound that means keep on abounding or excessively overflow. It's just an excessive overflow of love. He says that we want that. That's what I'm praying for is that your sacrificial love abounds so much that it is constantly overflowing of your life. And if that wasn't enough, there and how he writes the language, he says that your love may abound still more and more. It would be quite a statement for him to say that your love may abound more, right? It'd be quite another statement, even more powerful to say that your love might abound more and more. But he goes another step and he says that your love might abound still more and more. Layers upon layers, he is hammering home the point that to, to navigate this life and to live in this life the way that we're called and, to, and to, to love one another as a church body, to love in our families, to love sacrificially in, in our places of work, at school, whatever it might be, we have to have that God-like love exhibited in Jesus Christ that abounds and overflows more and more and more. So how does that happen? He says... In this I pray that your love may abound, may keep on abounding in knowledge and discernment. That's the best way to really, some of your translations say with or in, that really captures it. Both of those captures the idea here is that that sacrificial love is built upon that knowledge and discernment. You see, we are by nature selfish and self-serving. That's what the Bible tells us. Again, I've mentioned it many times before. One of the greatest lies in all of society is that people are basically good. I know that sounds disappointing, and I know that sounds a little harsh, uh, you know, because we all love this sort of kumbaya story of everybody's basically good, but the Bible says that's absolutely the opposite. We were created good. We were created in the image of God, but we've been infected by sin. 
And so the Bible says, in fact, that, that Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart of man is wicked and evil above all things. Who can understand it? You know, I've read recently some statistics. I've read uh, some really sobering uh, article that made me look into some statistics on human trafficking. Have you heard of human trafficking? And especially when you think of just one statistic of the human sex trafficking, there are 4 million people in our world today that are, that are in human sex trafficking. And that is not to mention all the other types of human trafficking. It is amazing and staggering to think that those that are conducting and, are con- and, and running those rings can be so desensitized to what's happening that they allow that to go on. That someone isn't, their hearts are not just broken. That, that, they're, not just, uh, that they're not just broken down about what they're doing. That they never come to their senses, but because of greed and whatever other sinful motivations there are, that you see four million people just in human sex trafficking. Terrible, terrible and sobering. We are by nature selfish and self-serving. The heart of man is wicked and evil above all things. You think about those that are trafficking those poor people. So we know that it's not something natural to us to love with that sacrificial love. It's not something that comes naturally. Nor is it something that uh, a sacrificial love, nor is it something that the world speaks of as love. Love speaks of, or the world speaks of love as a feeling. But sacrificial love, as you see in the title of today's message, is more than a feeling. It is sacrifice. Again, it is something that does not come naturally to us. The world's idea of love is erratic. It's uneven. It's the type of thing that says, well, you know what? If you just have lost your feeling for someone else, then just break that relationship off. If you're having difficulty in your marriage and you've lost that feeling, well, just easy divorce. Just break, break it off. Just, just break it off. That's what the world would say. You've lost your feeling. So we know that sacrificial love doesn't come naturally to us. Sacrificial love is more than a feeling. Sacrificial love is just that. It is sacrifice, and it needs to be built on something that we alone cannot build it upon. You see, we need the right environment for sacrificial love to grow. And what is that environment? He tells us two things right here, knowledge and discernment. You see, knowledge there is the word for biblical truth. It's not just knowledge of something in general. It's not just filling our head with useless trivia, but it means that we are building our lives and we are immersing ourselves in biblical truth. Moreover than that, the word that he used there for knowledge and for knowing isn't the, the, the word that's often used to speak of you know, book learning or learning that we do it's merely an academic pursuit. But it's the type of knowing that happens by experience. It's this biblical knowledge, this understanding of the Bible by not just knowing the word in its printed form, but knowing the word in its manifested form, knowing Jesus Christ. You see, as we continue to read the word, we continue to know him. And as we continue to walk with him and know the printed word and we begin to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ, we walk hand in hand with him. And our minds are changed. Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? That our minds are changed. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does 2 Timothy 3, 16 say? It said the word of God is powerful and is profitable for correction, rebuke, and training in righteousness. As we begin to know the word, we begin to know not only the printed word, but we begin to know the manifested word, 
Jesus Christ. So knowledge, we, the part of that, that soil in which sacrificial love grows is biblical truth, but it's also discernment. As we begin to know this truth, it, we begin to grow in our insight, our ability to take and apply that truth to life. In many places in Scripture, it's, it's, we understand it to be the idea of wisdom, insight, the ability to apply what we've learned, and we receive perception. We begin to grow in our perception of the world around us. We're not just walking sort of aimly and, and, and blindly through life, just wondering what's right, this or that, and what do I do in this situation? But we are growing in that knowledge, and we are growing in discernment and insight of that knowledge. And we begin to know rightly ourselves and the world around us. But here's the thing. Sacrificial love, folks, write this down. Sacrificial love develops as God changes our thoughts and perceptions from the inside out. Sacrificial love develops as God changes our thoughts and our perceptions from the inside out. You see, it's not magic how we grow in sacrificial love, nor do we have the ability within ourselves to do it. But God makes it happen as we grow in knowledge and discernment and that wisdom and that insight of life. Folks, why does this matter? You say, why in the world does this matter? First of all, you know, you, as you continue to grow in your wisdom and knowledge of biblical truth, what we would call applications, not always do I have to draw a direct line from point A to point B of why this matters and how this applies to your life. You're going to continue to grow in that. But even as, as we do, there's some things that are very clear of how it draws a line from point A to point B of why this matters to you. You know how you get off that sort of treadmill of bitterness and gritted teeth and crankiness in life? You get off that treadmill of just one thing to another, of that, just that bitterness, crankiness in life, by being one who loves sacrificially. Not only that, but as you grow in sacrificial love, guess what? People begin to sacrificially love you in return. Get off that treadmill of bitterness, gritted teeth, and crankiness, and be one who loves sacrificially for others. So not only do we see changed mind, changed mind and changed heart, but we also see what truly matters. There in the first part of verse 10, he says, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may approve the things that are excellent. In, in the New Living Translation, I, I do like how it translates this. It says, understand what really matters, that you may understand what really matters. As you grow in knowledge and you grow in sacrificial love, you will begin to understand what truly matters in life. Approve there is the idea almost like metallurgy, to test, to see if something has genuine worth, to test it. Or we might hold something up to the sun and we might hold this up and look at it and inspect it and to see if it has true worth and value. So not only approve it, but approve to see if it is excellent, see if it has true and lasting value, to see if it is worthy, if it is worthy of basing our lives upon. You know, all the accolades in life, no matter how wonderful and how great they are, those accolades in physical form are ultimately going to be trophies on a shelf. They're ultimately not going to be something that we can take to eternity. But what will we live our lives for? Folks, we must test, discover, and live for what has superior worth and value. We must test it. We must see biblically, is it something that has eternal worth and value? We must discover and live for what has superior worth and value. So that you might have a 
useful life, not one that is a wasted life. So what do we spend our lives on? What has eternal worth and value? Again, what is those things that Jesus Christ himself said, if we're storing up treasure in heaven, we are storing it in a place where moth and rust do not destroy. And he says if we store up those things, he's going to take care of, of the things in our life. What about this? Are we spending our lives making sure that people are rescued from the gates of hell? Are we spending our lives making sure that we see people come to faith in Christ? Are we spending time uh, living and sacrificing for our church family, our, our, our physical families, our, our actual families? Are we sacrificing for God's glory? Are we sacrificing for others that need and have great needs in life? Those are the things that we store up eternal value, and those are the things that last into eternity. You know, I love this quote by C.S. Lewis here. C.S. Lewis, speaking of, of how we often set our sights too low, we set our sights on the things of this world. We try to find our value and our worth in the things of this world, not the things that, that would truly bring us joy. And he says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Not, our desires aren't too strong, but too weak. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. He says, we don't set our, the problem is we're not setting our, our desires too high. We're not desiring more than what God wants for us. God wants us to be joyful. God wants us to, to, to have deep-seated joy that is not washed about and not tossed by the winds and waves of life, but we only find it when we live for what truly matters. Are we out there in the world? Are we making relationships with the lost? Are we seeing people come to faith in Christ? Are we helping to disciple them and help them to grow? Are we serving God's church? Are we helping others that are in deep need? What truly, truly matters. So not only do we have a changed heart, not only do we learn to live for what truly matters, but then in coordination, our motives are pure. We have pure motives and action. You see, it says there that we might live sincere, that you might be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. Another translation says pure and blameless. Pure and blameless. You know, the, the great banker J.P. Morgan said, was asked one time what, he, what was considered, what would he consider the best bank collateral of all? And he said, character. Character. What is the best collateral that anyone could put up? And he said, character. And that's what's spoken of here. Pure and sincere motives. That word sincere there speaks of pure motives, not hidden motives. Not trying to angle and try to figure out. You, you, we know somebody in our life that always seems like they've got something working behind the scenes. You just don't know if you can trust them. Sincere and without offense or blameless and above reproach. Above reproach means just that, to be blameless, to be live in such a way that you cannot possibly be blamed for something. You are living in absolute purity and Christ like character sincere and without approach you see it speaks of this genuineness of motives without hypocrisy we are living in life with genuine motives and without hypocrisy and we do so it says until the day of christ 
If we are living in such a way that we are living with pure motives, we are living with genuineness of motives and without hypocrisy, we are, in, we are doing it in such a way that we are living for what truly matters. The first part of verse 10, we know at the end of our lives when we meet the Lord Jesus Christ, we will neither be unregenerate because we will come to faith in Christ and proving it out with our life, nor will we have lived a wasted life. You know, do you remember 1 Corinthians chapter 3? We spoke about it a couple of weeks ago as well, where it talks about standing before the Lord Jesus Christ and the works of our life being laid at his feet and they being tested with fire. And if the works are those that last to eternity, things that matter most of living for God's glory and living on mission in this world, then it's going to be like jewels and gold, precious stones tested by fire and there they last But if we've lived our lives for ourselves on things that only have temporal value, things that only last in this world, that says when the fire touches that, it will be as wood, hay, and stubble. It will go up in smoke. Folks, we must live with pure motivation and blamelessness, being ready to meet Jesus. Again, why does this matter? Why does this matter? Ultimately, it matters because we will meet the Lord Jesus Christ and our lives have eternal significance. We're not just living with temporal significance. Our lives, what we do in this life, has eternal significance. But think about it even from a temporal perspective. Others trust a genuine person. People can sniff out when someone is living with pure and genuine motives without hypocrisy or when someone has kind of always got something working behind the scenes. Others trust someone who's a genuine person. Not only that, but they begin to see that genuine nature as you live your life because we stop making selfish decisions. Stop making selfish decisions that serve number one regardless, regardless of how it hurts others. You know, one of my favorite quotes from Rafi Zacharias or one of my favorite illustrations from Rafi Zacharias when he speaks about moral relativism. Moral relativism means that, hey, there's no real right and wrong. Things are all subjective, right? It just, your truth is not my truth. There's no such thing as truth. It's just what you think is right, I don't think is right, and there's no real way to prove anything is right at all. It's subjective, moral relativism. He says, we shouldn't be surprised. He said, we shouldn't be surprised when we teach in our Ivy League business schools, we teach moral relativism, and then we shouldn't be surprised when they go off and squander our pension funds. He says, we shouldn't be surprised if we're teaching in our institutions of higher education moral relativism, we shouldn't be surprised when people come out and don't really care what they do with other people's well-being and livelihood. They're just focused on number one. Because we're teaching there's no such thing as right or wrong. It's just all relative. You see, it matters. Living with this blamelessness and sincere and above offense, blameless, pure motives, without hypocrisy, because others trust a genuine person. You begin to live selflessly instead of selfishly, and ultimately, your life has eternal significance. So changed mind, changed heart, what truly matters Pure motives in action. And then finally in verse 11 we see continually filled and changed. Continually filled and changed. It says, verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. You see, being filled 
there is really interesting. There's a lot of interesting stuff just in those two simple words. First of all, the, 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 that word gives us the this, uh, this, this sense of something that is completed in the past but has continuing state. So it's something that's happened in the past, but the continuation of it continues until today. Not only that, but that word, that phrase there also speaks in a way in which the subject is acted upon. So when you put all that together, it's saying that God himself is the one that is filling us with righteousness. And he having filled us in the past, meaning when we came to faith in Christ, we were made righteous and pure. That righteousness continues to happen until this very day. We were made righteous and we are continually filled in righteousness. We are continually filled with righteousness that result in right action. And it all happens to the glory of God. You see, it's God doing the work. God has done the work of making us righteous in Jesus Christ, and he is continuing to make us righteous each and every day. And those fruits of righteousness continue and result in right action, all, all of it, to the glory of God. So you say, Pastor, what is my part? What am I supposed to do? Am I just supposed to sit back and let it happen? Well, in this sense, yes, that's what sanctification is. God is making it happen in your life. But our part, as we talk about quite often, is consecration or daily surrender. Daily surrender. So what are, what are you supposed to do? You are to break up the fallow ground of your heart. I love that dynamic that we see in the book of Hosea. We preached on that before. Breaking up the fallow ground of your heart. If you know what fallow ground is, it's that ground that hasn't been turned. It hasn't been tilled in quite some time. And for that to produce fruit again, you have to go, go in there with farming equipment and break it up. Break up that fallow ground that is set dormant. It has begun to, to, to turn into a crust. You've got to break it up, break it up so that you can plant it again. How do we do that? How do we do that? We have to renew our mind. We renew our mind by getting in the word. We renew our mind by getting in the word. We pray without ceasing. Not only do we set out time to read the word and pray each and every day, but we walk through our life praying without ceasing, being, ceasing, being in the constant state of prayer. When you do that as well, you are to hide the word of God in your heart. Write down on note cards. I'm getting really deep in the weeds for you here, but write down on note cards. If you have nothing else, write down scripture that speaks to you and memorize it. Hide it in your heart. And then each and every day, put that old man to death. Get up that day and say, God, this day is your day. Help me. There are going to be times, there are going to be crossroads of choices today in which I want to do it my way, but I'm going to do it your way. And God, help me to do it. Help me to do it. And you will see that God's way is what brings that joy in your life. And you say, well, pastor, I want to get down even deeper with you here. I've tried that and it doesn't work for me. Let me ask you some very pointed questions. Are you, are you carving out that time in your life? Are you getting to bed early enough at night so that you can either first thing in the morning or another time during the day you can give God some time in your day and you can carve it out and you can say God this is yours how much time do we spend on our phones how much time do we spend on our phones you know I heard I saw an article recently that said how do you illustrate what pray without ceasing means we think about what does that mean how do we illustrate what pray without ceasing means well we scroll without ceasing don't we we're always in the state of scrolling those of us, most of us, and if you aren't uh, in that boat, good on you, good for you. But we see a picture of what praying without ceasing means. We don't really ever stop scrolling, do we? That's the idea of praying without ceasing, that we're in the sense of, 
of, of just throughout life, we think we f- face a choice. God, what do I do about this? Help me make this decision. God, I, I love you and I thank you for saving me. God, help me with my friend here. Open a door. God, I don't know what to do in this situation. God, thank you for this that you've given me, this blessing that you've given me. Praying without ceasing. So I'm not only carving out time uh, that, that you say, God, this is your time. This is your time that I'm giving to, to you. I'm spending time in your word and spending time in prayer, but also that we are praying without ceasing. Praying without ceasing. And all of it, all of it to the glory of God. All of it to the glory of God, that we are growing in righteousness. God not only makes us righteous, but he is growing us in righteousness all to the glory and to the praise of God. Folks, let me ask you, and you don't have to answer. Obviously, you wouldn't anyway, but does this at times seem abstract to you? It seems so important to Paul and so important to the writers of not only the New Testament but to the Old, but the glory of God, the glory of God, doing all of this to the glory of God, to the glory of God. Would you do one thing for me at least? If this seems abstract to you and, and seems like, how can I live and why, why is Paul and why are other writers of Scripture so motivated by the glory of God but it doesn't register with me, would you take that and make that a point of prayer in your life? You say, God, would you reveal to me your glory? Would you help me to see how grand and how mighty and how majestic you are that it, it, it doesn't just become a, a, a thought in my mind. It doesn't just become this sort of philosophical idea, but Lord, I believe that you are the God of heaven and earth and all that we see around us is here by your hand. You are limitless and I am limited. But God, you and your, your wisdom, your justice, your mercy, your grace unto me, Lord, you care about me. You care about me. Will you help me to see with greater vividness your glory and may I live for it? Because folks, it matters. It matters. If you are not living for God's glory, you are living for someone's glory. And that glory that you're living for is your own. We can dress it up however we want to, but it is true. And if we don't live for God's glory, we are going to put stock in something and we are living for our own. We are investing in a stock, the stock of our own life, that will ultimately go bust. Focus on the glory of God. Invest in him, all to his glory and to his praise. May we be ones that exhibit the life of Jesus Christ as we mature in righteousness. We are to grow in truth and love, and we will develop pure motives and realize what's truly important. All, all for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, we do. We see this. What a perfect uh, way for, for Paul to end this little section here. And it is for your glory, for your glory. But so often it is easy for us to live for our glory and not yours. We live in a world in which revolves around uh, us trying to receive and take and live for our own glory. Putting number one first and just Everything else rolls downhill from there. But we are to live for your glory, your honor, and for things that matter for eternity. And you tell us you'll take care of us. But God, we ask forgiveness that at times we don't live those lives of trust. If we did, we would live in such a way that when you tell us to store up treasure in heaven and you tell us to live for things for eternity and you will take care of these things. 
that all these things will be added unto us. Lord, at times we don't trust you. So God, of course, may we do a great job in our, uh, in our place of employment. May we do a great job at school. May we be good parents. May we be good uh, husbands and wives. May we be good friends. May we do things that need to be done. But in, even in all of those things, may they be done ultimately for your glory and your honor and not our own. God, we pray that you would help us to pierce through the veil of just worldliness and focused on what we see before us, but may we look beyond to see what has greater significance in each and every minute and moment and hour of our lives. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.